This is The Spiel, a regular podcast about games and the people who love them. Episode 7, Power to the Meeples. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 7. Uh, my name is David Colson. I'm Stephen Conway, and we are your regular game experts here on The Spiel. We're here to show you how to have the most amount of fun with the widest variety of games. And I think to today's episode, we've got a really good lineup of, of things to talk about. Yeah, we had a couple great games, I think, so I'm looking forward to letting you guys know what we think about them. <laughs> Before we, uh, we get to that, though, we've got a little segment that we like to call News and Notes. Yeah, let's go. Game News and Notes. So, Dave, uh, what's your pick for what's, uh, what's on the agenda for News and Notes this week? Well, does the word free mean anything to you? We like free. <laughs> Is good. Uh, my pick is a free expansion for Niagara. Free? Awesome. Free, exactly. <laughs> um, if you haven't heard of Niagara, it came out in 2005, won the Spiel des Jahres, which is probably the most prestigious award any game can win. It's a German award German for ga- like the game of the year. Exactly. It's awesome. Um, anyway, the expansion for Niagara is called Diamond Joe. Um, it's going to be available only at conventions this year. So if you get a chance to stop by Origins, Gen Con Indie, or the uh, World Board Game Con. Um, those three places, definitely, you can get this guy. There That's might awesome. be some other ones. Um, what do you need to do to get this? All you have to do is go to the Rio Grande booth, spend at least 25 bucks, and you get Diamond Joe for free. Can't really beat yeah, that. That's I mean, pretty darn awesome. Niagara is already an awesome game. Yeah, it and then is. if you throw in free extra stuff to make exactly. it better. Now, granted, Diamond Joe is one single wooden canoe in a cloth bag. So it may be worth like a buck fifty. Dial back your expectations is what you're saying. <laughs> Just a but, little But hey, it's free. Yeah. Um and the twenty five you only gotta pay twenty five bucks if you don't have the first expansion, which was Spirits of Niagara. Right. It's twenty five bucks. Which Go to we the booth. actually we covered that on the spiel on the very first episode. Exactly. <laughs> so spend twenty five bucks, get that uh and then pick up the Diamond Joe for free. So it's, it looks like a, a lot of fun. I'll give you a quick little synopsis of it. Um, Diamond Joe's boat is like a neutral boat, a no, neutral canoe, and he moves the same speed as the uh, first player's paddle. And he also moves with the river just like everybody else. He's dragged down towards the, the falls. Uh, but if you, can, if you end your space on the same space as Diamond Joe, he'll either give you a gem or trade you a gem. So it seems like it'd be pretty, we know how hard it is to get those damn gems in Niagara. <laughs> right. So all the help we can get would be great. <laughs> but so I'm really, I'm looking forward to that, getting to Jay's booth and getting a little free stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so if, you, if you're not planning on making it to one of these game conventions, there's yet another reason that you might want to hit Origins or Gen Con or any one of these the upcoming right. summer game fests that are out there. Just another reason to add those to your list of, of things to do if you like to play games this summer. <laughs> So what do you have, Stephen? Well, I have, um, it's kind of interesting. There's a new uh, 
it's not really a new game company, but it's new, a new brand within an existing game company. Ah. So um, there's a game company called Winning Moves that's been around for a while. Um, the people behind Winning Moves are virtually a who's who of the American game industry. Their founders include the former heads of research and development for both Parker Brothers and Milton Bradley. They also have a, a really popular European game designer. And I think the funniest thing is they have an, the agent who brought the Rubik's Cube from behind the Iron Curtain. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the four guys who started it. Winning Moves itself is a company that focuses on kind of bringing back uh, out of print games or buying the rights to older games and then re releasing really nice editions of these older games like Neilborn, yeah, Hit, Pente, um, right. all these really good games. So it's, it's really nice to see someone sort of being the steward for these older games and championing them. But they have a new brand called Immortal Eyes. Um, uh, that's that a good I, name. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really <laughs> nice. And I think their goal is to try to kind of go after the gamer the hard, not the hardcore gamer, but the kind of the or people the, like us, the people who are willing to play, not just your typical pit or meal right. born, but are wanting their expectations have been raised by these European games, um, and they're kind of responding to that, which is really cool. So they're, um, according to their little blurb on their website, they're designed to deliver fun, high quality original games for the discerning gamer market. Ah. Um, the most exciting thing to me is the list of the three games that they're starting out with that are going to roll out starting this summer. They don't have any release dates yet, uh, but the three games on the agenda are Pecking Order by Richard Garfield, our favorite oh, uh, yeah. man of the hour, inventor of uh, Magic the Gathering and Robo Rally, and of uh, uh, Rocketville, which we've covered right. here on the Spiel. Um, Conquest of Pangea by a guy named Phil Orbanes or Orbanes, I don't by butchering his name, and uh, Terra Nova by Rosanna Leocata and Gaetano Evola. Good job. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing <laughs> those names. Um, Pecking Order and Conquest are both homegrown games that were designed by the Immortalized brand oh, game company, cool. whereas Terra Nova um, is an import that they're oh, bringing over. Good. So they're kind of doing both, which is really, I think, cool uh -huh. that they're going to do some games in-house but also bring over some of the, the good games from Europe that might not make it here otherwise if Rio or Mayfair right. misses the boat on, right. on some of them. Um, just a, a little short spiel on <laughs> the, the three games. Pecking Order is about birds, and you're trying to control the most perches to get points. Uh. Um, Conquest of Pangea, it really reminds me of Trias, the game oh, that we really? covered in episode Does one. Does it have the continent drifting apart? Yes, you have uh. a big continent, and you're trying to have the most dominant species on continents as they drift apart. Um, and Terra Nova is all, it takes place in the New World, and you're trying to fence off little areas, so it's sort of a border drawing game. Oh, okay. Um, they're a little sketchy on some of the details, but I think it's always good to be out there applauding new game companies that are willing to try to put out these new high quality component and right. really challenging and interesting and not your typical kind of game. So you might want to check out uh, their website is immortalizedgames.com. Oh, okay. Um, we'll include the links, of course, in our show notes. Um, but that's my, my pick of the week oh. for things to, to look forward to coming down the pipe. Awesome. The List. 
Over a decade ago, we took up the challenge to play every unplayed game in our collection. Each week on the Spiel, we play one or two games from our list of unplayed games. The list started over 100 and has been as low as 30, but we're at peace with the fact that we'll probably never get to the end. After all, life would be awfully boring without new games to play. Let's see which games get crossed off the list. So Dave, uh, what's, what's first on the, the list? The, the first game we played tonight was a game called Flandern 1302. Um, came out, I believe, in Germany in 2004 and then finally made it to this country in 2005. Um, the designer is uh, Wolfgang Panning. And um, there is another designer listed on the internet, but I don't see another designer listed in the game or on the box anywhere. Mm. So I think it's just Wolfgang Panning. Um, it's co-published by Queen and Rio Grande. Uh, the game is two to four players, playing time, average playing time about an hour, which I think is pretty fair. Yeah, I'd say that's right. Um, and I think you can find this on the internet, places like Thought Hammer, for right around 23 bucks. Pretty good that's deal. That's a good deal, really. Exactly. Um, some other things that um, Wolfgang Panning has designed um, are Lucky Loop and Indus and the Alhambra expansions. It's funny um, that he did the expansions, but not the main right, game itself. Right, exactly. But um, we've played, I think, all those things. Uh, yeah, I think we and, have. And um, I liked all of them, so I was really looking forward to trying this one. Heard some good things about it. Me too. I'm um, a sucker for anything yeah. Me medieval. I, <laughs> right. I'm pretty much there. <laughs> exactly. I'll give you the quick um, kind of storyline, yeah. the background of it. Um, basically, the game takes place during the uh, Flemish Guild's Revolution, um, and obviously in the year 1302, go figure. <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the, the guild, the guilds, the weavers, the dyers, the cloth cutters successfully helped the Count of Flanders drive out, um, I believe it was King Philip's armies. Mm. Um, and so in appreciation for that, he granted them kind of autonomy over the, over the government. And this game you find yourself stepping in right about then where now these guilds are kind of battling each other for, for control for control of this different cities. <laughs> and um, so that's where we step in at each taking the place of one of these guilds. So the, the object of the game basically is through the play of cards is to place as many of your little district pieces in each city as you can. Um, because at the end of the game, um, the, the value of the city is only going to be awarded to the people who have the most districts. In a lot of cases, there's a lot of ties, and then there's guild member pieces you know, that you use to help break ties and stuff. But um, basically, you're trying to get as many of these pieces into the city as you can. The cool thing is that your, your cities or your, um, your pieces can't be played next to other pieces of yours, yes. which <laughs> makes it a nightmare to try and get pieces in this city without letting other people get in there. Especially because, I mean, you can't emphasize enough the way the pieces are shaped right. are really wonky. So you only have, you have certain number of each odd-shaped piece, and if you overextend yourself in one, you might not have the piece that you need to, right. to fit in neatly in a city that you really want to put a piece in. Exactly, and of course you're limited the action cards that allow you to place these. Once you play it, it's kind of gone from your hand until you play the action cards that allows you to pick the action cards back up and use them. So you basically have to waste a turn yeah, to get exactly. those cards back in your hand. Exactly, which is a great Yeah, that's great an awesome balancer. mechanic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, 
in a nutshell, that's pretty much how the game plays. Uh, the you only might... thing I'd add would be the the neutral and the church tiles that there oh. are sets of tiles right. that are not yours and not your opponents that you can also if you get in that situation where you run out of your own you can start you can pull from, in right. from the other people and try to you know get the church or get the the neutral player and we found to out actually we win. found out how important the neutral player is <laughs> because the neutral player actually has a scoring piece he actually scores points just like the rest of us right and you can get his pieces into a city and you can you can take like first or second place and you can use the neutral pieces to help edge your opponents down into fourth or fifth place. Let the neutral player get the second or third place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's probably the best use of a neutral player that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, to my mind, that's really yeah. cool to have, you know, sometimes those games that add like a dummy hand right. or something like that. It's such a cheese ball way of of allowing you to play with like you're really supposed to play it with this number of people but if you put, but a, dummy if you put hand, a dummy hand in you can play and i almost oh, always hate those and this up. doesn't feel like that at all no. it actually is part really integrated into the game in a way that i don't think i've ever seen done in quite the way that it's done in this game no, which no. that's that's saying something to me in right. my mind it, it's very cool which is probably <laughs> we're already talking about what we like and didn't like yeah yeah you know kind of things <laughs> But to me, the, the flow of the game, I guess, that, that was for as kind of complex as the idea of the game, these battling guilds within these medieval cities is, really, you've hit the nail on the head as far as it, it you can really boil it down that easily into you're just, you know, playing your puzzle pieces onto the different spots and trying to connive to to get control over a particular city or area right. really was- darn well. You could tell it's a good game because you're agonizing every turn <laughs> about what to do. You know, you've got those, you know, handful of action cards. Like, oh, oh, oh. you see, because you, when you put your action cards out, you hide them underneath your hands so everybody else can't see. And you're kind of waiting to see what everybody else is going to do. And right. When they're going to put them out and guesstimate, do they have one card under their hand? Or, or maybe they're trying to advance, you know, there's a special thing where you can add some influence cards to the action card that you play out, which if you play enough would actually allow you to go first go first in the order even though maybe you were only supposed to go third right or something which is awesome that mechanic is cool yeah say there's only one spot left in a city and everybody wants it you could put all your influence influenced cards out to try to be the one who gets to play the last piece into that city and that may tip the balance towards you right. or screw somebody else up which by... definitely did in, in a <laughs> yeah. couple of situations that we had tonight so it Anything else that you definitely liked? I liked the overall, the the look and feel of the game was really well done. I think the puzzle piece mechanic right. is really interesting and well executed in terms of how um, not only the pieces that you have, they're all kind of the same three between all the players, but then the, the church tiles and the... Uh, um, the neutral per player tiles, they're all even different than the ones you have. So that they right. sometimes add an extra spot onto the city that was very or cool. some of them take pieces away. So just kind of the physical um, nature of, of the way the game plays out, I thought was really interesting and enjoyable. Um, what about you? What That's, else did you... You said exactly. I was going to pick, I thought the church pieces were cool as heck. <laughs> they actually augment the size and shape of a city. You know, in addition to being worth a few more points than the regular pieces, they actually do make them larger or smaller. And just when somebody thinks, you know, they might have a hold on this one city, yeah. you go and increase <laughs> it by two 
you know, by two pieces, and they're like, damn. Well, and it's easy to lose track of them because I know Jason oh. a couple times. He was like, exactly. oh, we, I've, I can't play another. I've got that one totally locked up. And I'm like, dude, you totally forgot that there's an extra <laughs> space there. And oh. That's the best moment in any game is when you get that damn you <laughs> response from somebody else who didn't notice something that right. you noticed. <laughs> exactly. So I live there, for those moments. <laughs> and it happened like more than once, too. Yeah. So you know it's, it's kind of tricky. So was there anything you didn't like about this? Um, I guess I guess, I guess this might be kind of a like and dislike if that's uh -huh. allowed. Uh -huh. The the randomness of the the extra action card that you get oh. um, that can sort of be a real blessing or a real curse. And I think to some people that could be something that would really kind of make them mad or maybe not like this game because it is a not complete information kind of game. Right. Where whenever you go first, you're going to have this one extra thing that you're going to get to do that could really help you or might not help you at all or could give someone an, a slight advantage. To me, I actually think that's more of a positive than a negative. Right. But I can see where some some kinds of gamers might come down hard on that as being right. making it less enjoyable than others because it does want at least once around is going to give you either a real good advantage and it could work out perfectly like oh i was going to play my card to pull all my things back into my hand but i didn't have to because i got the magical Bingo. one that right. happened at just the right time i actually like that little bit of chaos oh, <laughs> in I, my games yes. i don't find that really unappealing no, at all you, but i could see where that might turn some people off you have so much control over what you're doing and the rest of stuff one thing like that that maybe is just going to come up and be random yeah. i think that just makes it fun <laughs> what about what about you what do you think um knocks on it you know if, if there are any i i don't have any i mean i actually enjoyed everything there was about it and i did and i I even came in last place almost. <laughs> the only person that I beat was the neutral player. <laughs> and that was sort of touch and go there yeah, exactly, for a while. Exactly. We were trying our damnedest to keep Dave below the uh, the dummy player. <laughs> it didn't quite work out that way. But but yeah, I liked everything about this. I thought it was fun. I'd, I'd play it in two seconds again. Yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to it, as with so many of these games that we go yeah. around with the first time. You're like... <laughs> oh, that's how you play this game when you're about three quarters of the way right. through the game and you realize, wow, I just totally didn't get this game at all until this very moment. But that's a that's a good thing to know that you oh, know, yeah. when you come back to it, you're really looking forward to it, I think. And, you know, you can't really give more high praise to a game than that. Than, than... And yeah, it makes you want to come back and play it again. It doesn't get any better. <laughs> so I would... I would say thumbs up. Give Cute. it a big thumbs up. Give it a try for twenty twenty five bucks. Oh yeah, way way worth your investment. Big time replayability. Go for it. <laughs> so on to game number two. Um, this is uh, our first revisitation of of the game since we've had a reaccounting of our <laughs> list to include uh, expansions. Um, we thought since this was the game that sort of sparked the reaccounting, this would be the perfect one to start out with. Game number two is Carcassonne the Tower. So for those of you who don't know, Carcassonne, the basic game, is a very popular, ever-expanding, medieval-themed, tile-laying game. Players take turns placing tiles which depict various parts of a medieval landscape, including cities and fields and cloisters and inns, and roads and rivers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, 
They're little small wooden people that in gamer speak are called meeples. meeples. <laughs> uh, you'll notice many meeples in the Spiel logo. Uh, they're little wooden guys. Um, you place these little meeples on the board to score points either immediately or at the end of the game. So that's basically Carcassonne, the basic game. We've played it. We love it. It's a, it's a great game. Classic. Carcassonne, the tower is an, another new wrinkle. They've come out with many expansions. This new wrinkle, I would say, is probably... it's Having only played it once, it's <laughs> certainly way up there on my list already. Um, here's, here's the deal with the tower. So with the tower, you have the opportunity to build upwards on the board. You have little wooden tower tokens. There are 18 new tower tiles that have the foundations for the towers on the board, and they allow you, instead of playing a meeple onto the board to play one of these wooden towers on the board. Placing a tower token on the board will also allow you to do something that you've never been able to do in Carcassonne <laughs> before, and that is to capture people's meeples. People's meeples. meeples. Say meeples, that three meeples. times fast. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Um, and you hold them in prison until they, uh, your opponents can capture one of your pieces, in which case you have a little prisoner exchange <laughs> and you get your meeples back. Um, the higher the tower was one of I think the coolest parts of the game. Yeah. The higher the tower, the farther that you can see, and the more chances there are that you will have to capture a piece off the board. Um, the other way that you can get your meeples back is by paying a ransom, in, which is really costly. You can pay three victory points, which is of course the name of the game, to right. just buy back one of your meeples that have been captured. You know how hard it is to earn those victory points. It <laughs> surely sucks to have to give them up just to get your people back. It's it's brutal. <laughs> um, the only other thing to just say about the game uh, setup in general is uh, that it includes a special tower. Um, that you can use to draw all your tiles from because with all these ever-expanding expansions to the game, <laughs> there are just scads of, of extra tiles, and it's got this neat little system for stacking the tiles in them, and it's a little medieval tower that you set next to the game, and you draw your tiles from, and I think that's, I mean, I, it I doesn't really it, have an impact on the game itself, no. but I think that's really a cool yeah, I thought it worked, extra feature. I thought it worked great. Mm -hmm. It was awesome. Um, I guess I didn't. the one thing I didn't mention was the sort of gory details of oh. <laughs> the game uh the tower the expansion came out in 2006 uh the designer as with all the other expansions is klaus jurgen reed um and it was released by rio grande and hans im gluck ah um and i believe it retails for dave do you have it on your sheet because i don't have it on mine at the yeah moment. yeah you can definitely find it at places like thought hammer for about 12 bucks which you cannot find yeah. a better expansion for Carcassonne for no. that investment. Um, initial impressions, Dave. You want to let us have it here? Awesome. <laughs> I've played. All, we've played nearly every Carcassonne expansion, every variant, every game spinoff, every everything. And I think this expansion affects how you think about the game more than any other expansion that we played. They're all good. You never. Actually, you're always playing Carcassonne. I'm not saying that you know it differs so much. It's a, it's a whole new game, but this makes you come at it at a completely different angle. You were in, in a way, it does feel like a new game, it, even it though it's a familiar <laughs> familiar friend, right. which the, I think is good. The tiles didn't play like they used to play. Mm -hmm. You couldn't just plop one down where you thought it would. You were always in danger of putting it putting a tile somewhere where you were going to lose your meeple. 
Because you were inside of because a tower. Because you were inside of a tower. By the time we were, what, halfway through the game, we had so many towers in this <laughs> thing that it, there was almost no tile that was free of a t- of tower site somewhere. That, yeah, to me, it's almost like, I, I, I didn't say this when we were playing, but what I was thinking of is like the the tower, the eye of Sauron. Yeah, in, exactly, uh, exactly. Lord of the Rings, <laughs> that you have that eye that, you know, no matter where you are, there's a tower that can somehow see your di- your stupid meeple on the board and it's going to get toasted exactly. by And we by certainly toasted each other's yeah. meeples if, a lot. <laughs> if I had one word to describe this game, it would be brutal. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a bloodbath from the beginning. I mean, it's not really a war game, but it, it, you just feel like your meeples are in jeopardy yeah. from the moment you put them on. You, you're trying your hardest to find ways to score them and get them off the board right. as quickly as possible, right. which you didn't have that sense of urgency in any other form of Carcassonne no. that I've ever played that um, it really does change the the sort of emotional <laughs> uh, kind of tension in the game as well as the strategy yep. of the game too, which, I mean, that's, to me, is a really good as, thing. And you got to remember also what we're talking about is that Carcassonne has always been a great, awesome game. So this kind of praise that we're giving to this expansion to to believe that it actually could have been taken to the next level is amazing. Yeah, it's I mean it's difficult to imagine how many ways they can tweak this game and have it actually be not just them going back to the money trough once too often. Exactly. Because that every time I think okay, oh. this is going to be the one where the expansion is going to kind of suck. Because, and I think we were bad-mouthing this one probably more than other ones just yeah. because, oh, How we could go they possibly again? reinvent the wheel yet again? Right. But yet this game, I think I think this expansion in a way that most of the other ones, maybe Princess and Dragon fits in this category because right. it's got a definite screw with the other pieces on right. the board element to it as well, but not nearly so much as, as this one in my experience. Right. And we, play, we should let everybody know that... Um, we added the tower tonight to basically just the original game and the first expansion. Which is uh, Inns, Inns and Cathedrals. Cathedrals. So um, I can't even imagine the crazy stuff that might happen <laughs> if you start adding in traders and builders and the uh, Princess the, and Dragon. The Count. The Count. You know, I mean, whoo! Yeah. It could just be absolutely insane. Now, they say in the rules quite clearly that it's meant to be in, incorporated into any of those different right. expansions so you're not breaking the game to play it with either exactly. as little as just basic carcassonne or as much as just going for the whole <laughs> carcassonne rama <laughs> which you know we've tried we haven't tried it since we've gotten the tower but wow what a what a mind-blowing yeah it, it experience was... it is to try to play with all those expansions oh. and keep track of all that stuff but it's worth doing at least once oh, yeah even um, if you don't play it normally with that that much. I'm looking forward to having another one of those death matches where we play all of them, yeah. getting to throw the tower in now. <laughs> Poor Mark might not be up for it, but, uh, but exactly. I bet we can twist his arm. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, likes, dislikes, uh, we sort of already jumped right into that. But, yeah, exactly. Um, well, there, there other was... Thing, anything we haven't talked about yet that you want to mention? Nope, not... There was really nothing to dislike about the original and this just is more good stuff yeah to me i mean the danger with any expansion is that it won't bring something new to the table right that it really doesn't it doesn't justify you adding it to the game in any way other than just 
the game company wanting to make an extra couple bucks. And they really did a, a really fabulous job with this one in making it seem like a new game, but without destroying what made Carcassonne right. Carcassonne to begin with. And that's exactly that's a difficult thing to do. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to, to trying this one again oh. and definitely trying it with even more people oh, because this we played this two people two and it plays perfectly fine and is insanely yeah. <laughs> brutal. That's, that's one of the strong points of this game is that it plays really well with two, three, four, five players. Where in many cases, games of that nature, you know, they may say they're designed for two to five, right? But it's really you really need three or four to play. And if you play it with two, there's like special rules. Exactly. This one, oh. you're playing the same game whether you're playing with two or five, and I'll be darned if it's not just as good whether you do two players exactly. or five players. Um, so big yeah. thumb, big Thumbs, thumbs up yeah. for both. It's good to have. Right. Two games that we exactly. can unequivocally say, <laughs> go out there and if you definitely if you have Carcassonne, if you're a fan, it's a good one right. to if add. If you don't have any other expansion, buy the tower. Yeah, and you will not be disappointed. And right. if you haven't heard of Carcassonne at all, hopefully this will encourage you to go out and seek this one out because it's it's one of those I would put it in the column of like new classic. Yep. Of of the That's newer a great sort of Euro <laughs> Euro style games that it's just one of those ones that ranks up there in the hall of fame exactly so i think that'll that'll about do that'll it for, wrap uh, up the list the list for this week cool back shelf spotlight these games need some love and we're going to give it to them the back shelf spotlight shines on those games that may have slipped past your attention classic games rare games obscure games that you may not know about but you should if you're looking to branch out and try something new, this would be a good place to start. So, this week on the Backshelf Spotlight, in the past couple episodes, we've introduced a new little wrinkle where there's a connection between the two games we're going to talk about. Um, and there, it's not ever going to be a straightforward <laughs> connection. We've kind of quizzed each other out on that. Now it's your turn. Oh, yeah. You are faithful listeners out there. So starting with this week and from now on, the way the Backshelf Spotlight's going to work is we're going to talk about the two games, but there's going to be a connection between them that we're not going to tell you about <laughs> until the next episode. So the challenge for you all out there in listener land is to, to listen carefully to our descriptions of these two games, and you're going to have to try to figure out what the connection is between these two games. This week, we actually have two, two connections, connections between these two great games that you should know about. These are all games that uh, you might not know about, but you should know about. So we're, we're putting the back shelf spotlight straight <laughs> on them here this evening. So without further ado... Dave, why don't, we, why don't you tell me what the, the first game cool, is on I'll the take, list? Yep, I'll take the first one. This is a great game... Uh, the game is called Renfield. was published in 1999 by Cheap Ass Games. That's pretty much all you need to say. You know, it's <laughs> going to be a great, great game. Um, designed by James Ernest, as are most of the Cheap Ass games. Right. Um, this is a game for four to seven players. Although in the middle of the rules, they say that you can play with eight. Oh. <laughs> so I would go with eight. Um, there's certainly enough cards. Um, 
playing time about 60 minutes, but that's kind of strange since this is a gambling game. It's yeah. kind of open-ended. It's, I yeah. think you could play it all night if, if it floated your boat. Yeah. Um, this game is very unique. <laughs> um, it is a strange melding of euchre and poker type of things. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's, it's actually wonderful. Um, let me tell you a little bit about the synopsis of the game first, because yeah. that's the best part. With any, che- well, with any, <laughs> with cheap, any cheap ass, ass game, game. Ex- that's, you know, exactly. I'm such a sucker for the flavor text on those yeah. things, and even the games that are kind of not so good in the cheap ass lineup, I like pulling they're them just out just because to... they're so stupidly weird that exactly. how can you not want a game called Devil Bunny Needs a Ham <laughs> or whatever? But anyway, sorry, go on. That, that's fine. So in Renfield... <laughs> All the players are actually grave diggers, and they spend their nights sneaking out to the graveyard, digging up bodies, hacking them up, and selling them to the highest bidder. So what do they do when they're not working? They play Renfield. They play the card game. Um, The object of the card game, believe it or not, is to eat bugs. (laughs) How cool is that? (laughs) Now, obviously, in game terms, the object is a little different, but thematically, the object is to eat bugs, which is... It's great. (laughs) Um, How you play the game is, like I said before, a strange mix of euchre and poker type of things. Um, Basically, to lay it out real quick, you're dealt a hand of six cards. Um, You you lead cards and follow suit just like you would in a trick-taking game. However, there's gambling involved. You're actually going to have to pay money to the pot every time you win a trick, (laughs) which is... Totally, completely bass backwards of how you're right. you're thinking about it. <laughs> it's sort of like low ball poker, right? <laughs> but but you don't actually pay when you <laughs> play low ball poker. <laughs> exactly. So you're paying every time you win a trick. the The object of the game, basically, like I said before, is eating the bugs. So to even have a chance to win, you have to have eaten bugs. However, of all the people to have eaten bugs, you have to have eaten fewer bugs than anybody else. And that, 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 that. <laughs> so, so you have to have an appetite for bugs, but the least appetite of it, it, everyone exactly. at the table. And the way this is represented in the game is the cards have bugs on them. Good. Yeah, Any, anywhere from that. zero to six bugs. So as you play the cards out and you're trying to win the tricks, you're trying to win tricks with bugs in them, but as few bugs as possible. Um, and you but, also have an option. What makes this kind of like poker, once you win a hand... Or once you win a trick with bugs in them, the next time it's your turn to play a card, you have the option of just folding, just <laughs> getting out of the rest of his hand. Hope, hopefully, you've got enough yeah. bugs. I've know. got enough. I'm exactly. Done. <laughs> I've got my couple bugs. I don't want to be paying anymore. But that's a risk. I mean, that's a that's, that's a big risk it you is. take. Of course, it is. Of course, you may have cards in your hand that you, you don't want to actually fold because you've got some great hands that even though you don't plan on taking tricks, you want to stick other people. Now remind me the pick, the cards that you fold they don't count against you is nope. that correct okay right. I thought that's true right exactly <laughs> you just you know you've taken what you can take you know what and I actually think that I just misspoke okay I believe if you opt to fold you have no chance of winning that hand oh that okay. that was I but you're not gonna lose ex- either that's... right you're not gonna maybe pay a lot more into the pot because maybe you take one trick you've got your bugs but you can tell the rest of the cards in your hand you're gonna take more. Hmm. You know, and that taking more means paying more into the pot and not winning, which is <laughs> so you're just, just cutting crazy. your losses, so exactly, to speak. <laughs> which makes sense, right? Um, th- I guess the thing did you mention that the 
I don't think the number of bugs is keyed to the particular cards. It's sort of random throughout right, the, the just, difference. Are there, there are suits, there, right? There's three suits. That's what makes it unique, too. Instead of four suits, there's only three suits in this. I think it's body parts is a suit. Right. Um, the tools that you use to dig up the graves and the actual gravestones. <laughs> so you've got those three suits. And the graphics are really fun. Uh, yeah, the illustrations they're, they're as cool little cartoon. Yeah, they're they're great. The The flavor of the game is so great. It's, <laughs> it's cool. And... Um, it's just one of those goofy things. I think once I start, I just play all night. <laughs> yeah. You know? So even even though the object is supposedly to eat the bugs and stuff like that, it's really to basically steal as much money from your gaming buddies as you possibly can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, swapping, swapping body parts and gravestones, what better way to do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you haven't heard of this game, it's just a lot of fun. It's been around for seven years now. Especially if you have gambling buddies oh, or things like yeah. that that are you you know if you're wanting a sort of a kind of a new a fresh nice, you know right god i'm sick of playing texas hold'em you know <laughs> exactly bring out renfield exactly. And, and maybe they'll be saying when but, are we playing texas yeah, hold'em again if i but, see one more flop <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i would definitely it, it's a good one to pull out and, and it's nice that it's open-ended that you can sit down and play for any right. amount of time that you want and you can play a couple of hands and if you say it's lame you can move on to something it, else and if you right. really find, find a crowd that's into it you can sit down exactly. and have and a lot of another fun. Another cool it. thing that I didn't mention, what Cheap Ass has done is they've included at least six or seven variants. Oh right. Um for this. So just <laughs> like any good poker game. Yeah. You know, if you get bored of one, they've got a ton of diff they even actually include a couple extra cards that help out <laughs> some of the variants. So great game, well balanced, goofy mix between a trick taking game and poker, but wonderful. Definitely uh seek <laughs> seek that one out. If you don't know about it, check out Renfield. So what do you've got for what are your back shelf? Well, naturally, you know, if you're going to talk about Renfield, a game about collecting body parts, uh -huh. of course, the next game that, you know, comes onto the back, back yeah, shelf. We do have connections between these games. Right. You know, the next logical game to come to is Go. Oh. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. <laughs> so Go, for those of you who don't know, is one of the oldest games we've talked about backgammon and some of these right. other games it fits right alongside backgammon is one of the oldest games known to human history um earliest mention of go appears in the analects of confucius in terms of literature and that's like 551 bc around that time the earliest physical evidence is an actual board that was discovered in 1952 in a tomb of a former han dynasty uh wow dignitary um, and that's back in like two, 206 BC. Wow. Um, so we know that it's at least that old. There are actually like legends and myths about the origin of the game that extend back to like 2000 BC. And uh, just to mention a few of them, because they're definitely worth mentioning, um, some of the different stories about uh -huh. how Go was, was invented. The three that I thought were the most <laughs> entertaining were uh, Go was invented to amuse an emperor's idiot son. <laughs> Go was invented to strengthen the mind of a weak-minded emperor's son. Or perhaps it was invented to serve some sort of astrological purpose because mm. one of the other like designers was a group of the emperor's astrologers who ah. came up with the game. So those are kind of some of the myst quasi-mystical origins to the game of Go. Wow. Um, it's now for 
what the heck <laughs> is this game of Go if you don't know what it is. That's just a little historical background for the game. Uh, the game of Go is played on a 19 by 19 grid. Um, players take turns playing black and white round stones not onto the squares of the grid, but onto the intersections of the lines of the ah, grid, which is really kind of a, I mean, for being this old of a game, I mean, that's a really exactly. interesting was, right. uh, mechanic that is, you know, different than a lot of the, you know, chess yeah, or other Usually you're playing them in the spaces rather than the intersection of the lines that divide the spaces. Exactly. So um, you're trying, players are attempting to surround as many areas of the board with their stones as they can, um, and opponent's stones are captured when they are surrounded, um, the game ends when either the board is covered with all of the pieces or when both players pass in succession, indicating that they they raise the white flag. They right. know that they can't <laughs> improve their position in any way by playing more stones to the board. Uh, and then you simply take score and see how much of the board you've captured how or area. how many of the pieces of your opponents. Basically, how many more pieces were you able to put on than oh, okay. your opponent? And that's the way you can do sort of a an easy shorthand oh, okay. way of keeping score. Um, it's given rise to so many games in oh, yeah. modern history. You know, you may be familiar with the game Pente, which is, you know, a, a direct descendant of Go. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, it's just the most classic, one of those simple to understand but very difficult to master kind of games that... I just love. I, I love a game that you can sit down with any, almost anyone Money. of any age and say, here are the three rules to go. <laughs> and they get the whole idea of the game, but yet once you're into it, that light bulb goes off in your head and you're like, oh, hmm. holy crap, this game, there's a lot more to it than what I realized. Um, to me, that's one of the strengths of the um the game is that it has that sort of universal appeal. You can teach it to anyone, but yet there's just this whole conversation that goes on with your head about where you want to play and how you right. want to play your different pieces to the board. Um, and I definitely fall into that category of knowing the three rules, but just <laughs> completely sucking at Go for some reason. I, I just haven't gotten to that next level in there. I've played some things online and played with some people and it's just it's an amazing game, but uh, there's a few strategies that have eluded me thus far. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, there's there's all kinds of subtle yeah. um, maneuvers that you can do to try to outmaneuver someone when you're trying to surround their pieces to, to try to keep your pieces open. You know, you want to basically try to string as many of your pieces along these grid lines to keep your avenues open so that they can't get surrounded. Right. But it's a lot easier <laughs> said than done. Um, there's, you know, different names for the formations of the pieces right. that are surrounding um, the stones. And, you know, there's with any game that's been around this long, there's oh. sort of a whole vernacular exactly. that is unique to the game. Um, I know that one move, is there a ladder? Yes, or that's one of them. You can kind of string your, you and your opponent just keep kind of stringing each other along until yeah. you get to the edge of the board. It's <laughs> basically a race of who's going to be there first. Yeah. Anybody who plays Go first can already see who's going to get there first, yeah. even 20 moves ahead. <laughs> it reminds me, do you know that movie Tron? Yes. You know, the light cycles? Exactly. <laughs> and the turning off, and it totally is what, you know, I mean, that's sort of... That's a great <laughs> Video comparison. game go, yep. you know, in a way, because that's, is. you know, you're trying to beat that person to that last little... To that, right, you know, that's great. ...avenue. Um, 
I would encourage anyone. The other nice thing, it has this wonderful tactile nature. The stones are this beautiful sort of polished river stone quality right. to them. You can get really elaborate boards that are big, chunky wooden boards that you can that are you know just insanely thick, and you can like sit on the floor Indian style, and you'll be kind of even with the board. Or you can, I mean, you can cheap out and and get a very simple go board for like five ten bucks. Yep. It's the same darn enjoyable <laughs> game either way. Um, so it's really accessible to any income level. You don't have right. to go crazy, just like chess or any of those things where um, you can, if you have the money, you can get a really nice set. But that's not going to improve your play <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> at all. You know what I they say, mention. the man who has the really nice set <laughs> probably can't play the game at all. <laughs> but uh, I would encourage anyone who isn't familiar with Go or any of its modern variants, Pente being probably the one that's the most yep. popular and in the minds of, of people today. Pente certainly has a little variation on the rules, but um, definitely classic, can't go wrong, seek it out. Um, don't be afraid of these classic games, you no. you hardcore gamers out there. <laughs> There's a lot to learn, and you'll find out that most of these modern games you like are actually built upon principles of these classic games. Exactly. And I think you'll find this is one that you can actually get into very easily because of all the stuff that's available online. Yes. Oh, you God, know, yeah. In a half hour, you can go on online, learn everything there is to know, and actually start playing games. Yeah. You know, There's no reason not to learn this game. Absolutely. Amen, brother. <laughs> so that's uh, that's the two games on the back shelf spotlight this week. Remember, oh, yeah. there are connections, two connections between so all, these All games. you have to do is figure out a way to climb into our brains. <laughs> Which is a very scary prospect. <laughs> figure out exactly what we're thinking. And uh, definitely, uh, we want to hear from you. If you have ideas or if you want to make guesses, we're going to come up probably with some prizes down the line for people who yep. guess uh, guess right. Um, you can find us online at thespiel.net, and you can email us there at either Stephen at thespiel.net or Dave at thespiel.net. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you, see what your connections are. I'm going to guess that you're going to come up with a lot of connections that we haven't even thought of. Yep. <laughs> if you come up with the ones we did, uh, I'm going <laughs> to exactly. be I'm going to be afraid for your sanity. Actually, we're looking forward to it, and good luck. Truckloads of Goober. What is Goober, you ask? While sages and scholars may debate its subtle nuances, Dave defines Truckloads of Goober as either a game with a ton of quality components or a game with really unique components. Now, we're not saying you should always judge a book by its cover, but the stuff, the Goober in a game, can be a factor in having fun. Great Goober can make an otherwise average game excellent. Great Goober can make an already great game sublime. So without further ado, here are the Goobermeisters with their pick. So Dave, uh, what have you come up with this week on Truckloads of Goober? Well, I think we've got a classic game here and we're going to go with the definition of Truckloads of, Goober, Truckloads of Goober being the one really cool single piece of goober in the game okay um the game is el grande a came classic out, yeah came out in 1995 and won the spiel de jar in 1996 um the designers wolfgang wolfgang kramer and richard ulrich co-published by rio grande and hans m hans m gluck love to say that <laughs> yeah <laughs> 
For two to five players, about 90 minutes, and retails for about 35 bucks. The cool thing, this game's been out of print for a handful of years until recently, just a few months ago. Yay. It's back in print, and there were several expansions. The new version includes... All of these expansions. Yes. <laughs> so, awesome. Why did we pick this for Truckloads of Goober? There is a component in this game called the Castillo, or Castle, that is very unique. It was the first first time I'd ever seen something like this used. Since, since then, I've seen a handful of people kind of add something in. Um, the Castillo is a component that is about six inches tall and about two inches square. And it's hollow, and you actually drop little wooden cubes into this throughout the game. It's very cool to kind of help you figure out how you use this. The game is the game board has provinces, which you're putting your caballeros into. I think it's your caballeros. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're adding caballeros to, and you're trying to exert influence by adding these. Yeah. Well, the Castillo is actually a province, but it's not on the game board. It's a 3D province, yes. <laughs> you know, that you get to actually throw your caballeros into. As you put them in, you have to yell out, I'm adding three caballeros. And as the game goes on, people are trying to remember, oh man, how many are in there? Because just like the other ones, you want to have the most influence over the Castillo. So at when, Castillo of mystery. Exactly. So at when a scoring round comes, you just lift the Castillo and mysteriously all the cubes <laughs> fall out onto Everywhere. the table and you get to actually find out if you remembered correctly how many cubes did this person put in? How many did this person in? And to take it one step further, once you score the Castillo, you have these little secret bidding discs, <laughs> and you get to choose one of the provinces on the board that after you score these um, caballeros, you're going to get to reallocate them to the board. Right, so they sort of pull double duty. Exactly. They're going to score in the Castillo, and then they're going to move on to the board and score. It's just a great use of a really really cool component. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's. I I look forward to playing that that game just so I can uh, <laughs> put a couple into the Castillo. I, I remember uh, one of the guys I played with the first time. He had this little thing where he'd say two for the Grande and two for the Castillo, and he, <laughs> he'd drop them in there and it would just crack me up. He you know he'd just do this little thing and just the sound of it hitting on the bottom of the the little thing and you can kind of. You can kind of shake, shake it a little, it and exactly. you're like, eh, are there 10 or 12 mm. in there? I don't know. And how many of those are my color? I forgot already after I put my two in. <laughs> it's, it's so simple, too, just to try and remember. That's all you have to do. Remember how many cubes are in there, how many each person's put up there, and you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's a major, major strategy oh, yeah. of the game. I mean, it's hugely important. Especially since you can reallocate them. Right, exactly. <laughs> They're just It's like having your own built-in wild card, basically. And we're, we're, in future episodes, we're going to get give you a little more insight into this game now that it's made it back on the unplayed list because we haven't played all the expansions. Right. So Look forward to yep, uh, it'll, a more in-depth look at uh, El Grande. Exactly. And, Check out the pictures that Steven's going to include on the podcast. You'll get to see the Castillo. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for truckloads of goober. The Game Sommelier, or Right Game, Right Crowd. Like matching the perfect vintage with a delicious meal, the Game Sommelier finds the right game for any crowd, age, experience, or personality. Each week, one of us must pick five games to meet a fiendish challenge. Each week, 
one of us must earn the right, the honor to be called the Game Sommelier. Here's Dave with this week's challenge. Okay, Stephen, um, I'm not sure if you uh, are ready for this or not. If, you'll, if you remember my challenge, it was to attempt to find five non-classic games that you and I could play when we're 80. Of, we're going to be 80 sometime soon. I so, hope. Knock, knock something away. Game, games that don't have components that are detrimental to our age, if that makes any sense. Gotcha. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to hear that. That's pretty simple. I'm excited to hear what you came up with. For being such a simply stated challenge, <laughs> this was a pretty dang tough one, I, I felt. Um, I, I went at it from a particular angle, and I okay. think um, the first thing I'll say is that um, every single one of these is a two-player game. Okay. And my rationale for that kind of All of our friends in, will be dead already. Well, you know, that was a little <laughs> bit of it. With two-player games, being older, life becomes more difficult, not just because of possible health concerns, right. but also having people to play with. Right. You know, it may become increasingly difficult to find four or five people to play games as often yep, as a, you can find another person. That's a great point. Um, and I think that's really a legitimate concern when yep. you're that age, that it might definitely have an impact on the kind of games that you're able to enjoy. You may like those four or five player games, but you're just not able to, to play them as often. And right. that shouldn't be, you know, you should still be able to play games whenever the hell you damn want when you're 80 years old. <laughs> it just may mean that you have to play two-player games instead of four or five-player cool. games. So all these games have relatively simple components. A deck of cards, a large regularly shaped pieces, um, or big miniatures. Cool. Give you a little preview. Uh, um, but all these games, I think, will have a great deal of replayability and none of them are extremely long, because I think that's definitely a concern yeah. when you might be 80 and, you know, your bladder might yeah, yeah. act up every once in a while, so you may not, you know, you may have to go change your colostomy bag. <laughs> 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 and I'll, you know, I'll take a five-minute break and then come back. And, you know, those things are definite concerns. So uh, the replayability cool. and the, the length, I think were important factors in weighing into my decisions with these awesome. these games. Yep. So that's just sort of a brief, gives you a nutshell of where my where brain was okay. thinking about these, these cool. this challenge. So game number one, Lost Cities. Cool. <laughs> published in 1999, Reiner Knizia, co-published by Rio Grande and Cosmos. Um, you know, I could have cheated so easily and come up with an all two-player Cosmos Rio Grande <laughs> list, but yes, I thought you, you would have uh, said foul and exactly. smacked yep. me in the head. This is my representative from that class of games. Cosmos okay. Rio Grande has an entire line of two-player games. To me, this is the best of the bunch. Um, you play; uh, it's a it's an archaeological type game. Players play five different archaeological. Car, play cards to five different archaeological expeditions. The minute that you play a numbered card, however, to any expedition, you're 20 points in the hole. The goal is to drive your uh, expeditions over 20 points so that you actually score Start points and points, don't actually right. get docked points. And the most points after three rounds of play is the winner. Uh, it's just so quick to play. It's easy to learn. It's one of those games that if you know we already are you know, so well versed in it that you can sit down and we can play several games in the course of an hour. 
um, it's the kind of game that you could keep a little tally sheet from from week to week or month to month. Right. Oh, I kicked your ass last <laughs> Wednesday. Well, I'm going to get you back exactly. on Thursday. There's there's game number one. I think that's probably the best game that you could have picked out of that series for this particular challenge. It is very. It, it plays fast. It's simple. The cards are oversized. You could read them. I, I'll be able to read my cards on my side of the board and on your side of the board. Great pick. Don't need to say anything about that. Thumbs up for number one. Okay. Number two, uh, GIPF or the GIPF Project. Ah. So we're going abstract strategy here, kind okay. of harkening back to Go a little bit. Right. The idea. It's elegant, simple to learn, but hard to master strategy game. Players play black and white pieces onto a triangular grid to form rows of four and then try to capture as many of their opponent's pieces by breaking up those rows. Um, to me, the, the extra added sort of perk to this game is the wacky <laughs> potentials. The, the, the GIF is part of the GIF project. This game was published in 1998 originally. The designer is Chris Berm, yep. and um, the, it's co-published by... Um, Rio and Schmidt Spiele. Um, the potentials bear wor are worth mentioning, though. Right. Um, there are several other games in this series. Zertz, Yinch, I am blanking on the other two, but, but there, there are a whole series of games that sort of orbit around GIPF. Right. And there are a series of potentials that you can play during your game of GIPF that sort of make you play a sidebar game of Yinch or Zertz or one of these other games <laughs> right. before you come back to GIF. And to me, that level of complexity but yet simplicity, right. they're all simple. They're the games very, themselves yes. are very simple to play. But yet you have this sort of complexity of one of these uber gamer um, type games right. that that um, it sort of encapsulates the best of both worlds. You could play GIF and have a ball. But if you're in the mood for this just death match and you you know, you know may have more time on your hands because you're right. feeling ill or whatever, when you're 80, you have a buddy over, you could sit down and play a death match of GIF with all the potentials that could even run on from take you meeting weeks. to meeting. You, know, right. every, you meet every week to play a little bit of GIF. So um, there's game number two. I like how you kind of sneaked around. I said no classics like checkers and stuff like that. And this is... This is a 1998, perfect, exactly. Buster. 1998. That, this is a perfect way to get to something, a quality. I think I think GIF is going to become a classic game. Yep, yep. Without a doubt, because it is an awesome game. It is, as you said, elegant, simple to learn, but hard to master. The pieces, um, the way that they've designed the pieces, they stack perfectly. You know, there's no chance that you're going to accidentally shake and knock them off. I mean... The game is designed perfectly for this situation. Thumbs up. Awesome. Woohoo! My confidence is growing. <laughs> game number three Battle Line. Okay. My, uh, 2000 was the publishing date. Right. Another Reiner Knizia game. Imagine, gonna, imagine how, many, how little, many times his name pops up. <laughs> you're going to see a little theme here. Uh, <laughs> Publishers GMT Games. Um, it's a great fusion of a poker style mechanic with an ancient war game we sort of we've done this once with uh, uh, crud, war, cry havoc 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 yes <laughs> um but in a different way um you players play three card poker style ranked hands to capture wooden red flags that 
comprise the battlefield between the two players. You can either win by capturing three flags that are together or by capturing five of the nine flags that are in a row. Um, the tactics cards add a fun element of um, strategy and randomness to the game. So while there is the sort of standard, you kind of know the ranks of the hands, not unlike Lost Cities, where you're right. playing kind of cards across from each other and and comparing and trying to score more than your opponent. Um, but you also have this element of a little more tactical um, and ran and a little chaotic element that these <laughs> tactics cards throw into it. Um, I'd certainly, you know, my goal was to kind of look at the new classics since you you've called a, off band, limits, right? <laughs> the, the the old classics, and this is one that fits in that category to me. Um, what do you think? I think you hit it perfectly again. The um, the game is a, is definitely already a classic in my mind. It's exactly like the other ones in this category. Very simple, hard to master. I like the fact that it it finds its roots in poker, you know, mm -hmm. but has but has this new twist. Um, the only thing I'm I'm am still classifying this as a great pick, but those the card the special cards the tactic cards do have a lot of do have some small writing on them stuff. But I'm gonna guess that you know we'll have played this game enough that we're already going to know those right we're not going to be reading the damn cards my thinking is yeah exactly you know, you know this isn't a game that you were you're going to learn necessarily at 80 years old but if you've played before or you know you could simply have read if you've read the rules you know right which you could even blow up on the bigger print right if you exactly to, that um that's not going to be a inhibit it's not going to inhibit you I, from I, enjoying I love, the game. I also love the simplicity of the layout yes. of the game, you know. Yes. It's just the row of pawns down the center of the table and you're just playing cards to each side of a pawn. Yes. I mean, so easy. <laughs> so number 4, good job. Cool. Um or that was number three, actually. Number th okay, I'm insane. <laughs> but I'll I'll take credit for number four. <laughs> oh no, no, in no, advance. No. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> number four is Blood Bowl. <laughs> I wish you could see the look on Dave's face because he's wow. a little surprised by this one. My thinking behind this one is it you know it might not fit with these sort of new classics that I've been coming at you with from the other ways. It's fantasy football fun in the fantasy swords and sorcery way of fantasy football. Right. Um, it's fast. It's fun. It's very easy to play once you're familiar with the rules. Um, the miniatures are definitely big enough that even if you had problems with arthritis right. or even, you know, you could, they, you know, you can paint them or you can not paint them, but they're easy just like by the silhouette of the miniature to know who's on your team and who's not. It's basically a football game, but with like orcs and trolls, uh, try or elves or whatever different kind of fantasy races you can comprise your team of. Um, there and the, and the board is quite large, right. so it'd be easy to tell where you're you're going to move to on the boards. Um, they're short. This game, I wanted to try to find a miniatures type game but without having the length right. or the complexity that a t traditional kind of miniatures game would put exactly. on. These are all 25 Games Workshop 25 millimeter, right. which is really more like 30 millimeter <laughs> pieces. Uh, it was published in 1994. Jervis Johnson is the uh, um, right. designer. Games Workshop is the publisher. Um, let me have it. You know, I, th I think <laughs> but, I think I can make a case for it if well, you're gonna ride me you out. You know what? I, I was gonna trash you on any miniatures games you picked, but I didn't anticipate you picking this one. What I like about this one is 
that it does have that board with the spaces on it's not like a, a traditional like measuring yes. type of thing where you're getting out the the rulers and trying to read inches yes. and millimeters and everything um so just because of the way that the board is and the figures are pretty good size and who doesn't love football hello yeah. <laughs> so this time i'm getting it right number four thumbs up <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> And I think I saved the best for last. Oh God! And you have you have this one. I don't think you're gonna have any problem with at all. I feel a little cheater for putting three on by Mr. Kinesia, but how wow. could you not have uh, the game Duel on this list? Uh, We've discussed this in past spiels. It was a. Uh, it came out in 2004. Again, Mr. Kinesia um, was the designer, and it was published by Ravensburger. In a nutshell. It's a new classic. It really defines the genre of new classics. Um, again, the, the, the theme that runs throughout all these games is it's simple to learn. So even if you were the hardcore gamer who made it to 80, but you didn't have any of your pals make it with you that long, uh -huh. you could teach any of these games to your friends that are around, and they would probably enjoy these games that might not necessarily even be gamers. And right. they would enjoy these games as much as they would enjoy Canasta or... Right. a more classic style game um it's so simple to learn but it is so hard to stop playing um your your players are advanced you play cards out of your hand to advance your swashbuckler on the board the first person to score five touches wins the game in a nutshell i've basically told you everything you need to know you have numbered cards one through five and that determines how far you move forward and back it sounds so simple as to be just boring as hell but I can't stop playing this game whenever I sit down and play it. I just, to me, I saved the best for last, I think. And this is, this is, let me have it. You absolutely did. You <laughs> saved the best for last. What's cool about this game is that you could get this out if you only had five minutes. You just had a few spare moments between your blood transfusions or whatever, you know. <laughs> or you could sit down for an hour, like you said. Um, the cards, you never have more than five in your hand at a time. You know, so you're not going to be, you know, burdened by this fistful of 20, you know, 20 cards that you can in some classic card games. Um, the game itself is awesome. I don't see how anybody wouldn't love to play this game at any age. Yeah. Um, the board is simple, streamlined, easy to read. One big token yeah, that you have yeah, to move forward or back. One huge big token that unfortunately looks like Dracula, but we'll go <laughs> yeah. into that later. But um, I five in a row. I think... You picked five. I didn't think of any of these games, and they're all perfect. Whew, wow. Good, good job. I know that, I mean, I, it was tempted to do all Cosmos two-player games. <laughs> it was tempted to do all Reiner Knizia games game. after I had three, and I was like, no, no, I wanted to try to do kind of spread it out distinct. To me, mm -hmm. I just I kept coming up with this whole idea of the new classic, right. and that, that was what I sort of well, latched on I love the inclusion of Blood Bowl and um, uh, GIF. Excellent. Yeah, to me, I guess that the one last thing I'll say is that, you know, just because you become older doesn't mean that suddenly you don't have to, you can't play these sort of more wacky, more complicated type games. That there right. are definitely games that would accommodate whatever health concerns that you have, that you don't have to suddenly just play euchre with your buddies <laughs> or whatever. Right. That you don't, those doors don't, should never shut for you. That. You know, if Bingo. if you are an older gamer and you're listening to this, let us know what you think if you've played these games or if you think we're nuts for <laughs> for this. I I would be interested to hear, you know, because Definitely. I think that's a legitimate Absolutely. concern. Right. And I plan on being 80 
and playing your ass at whatever game you want and, exactly. and kicking it. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a challenge, buddy. <laughs> good, good. I hope you do. <laughs> well, I think uh, we've made it to the end yet again here. Well, this I comes think to the part I have, I'm not looking forward to yeah, here. <laughs> it's my turn to, to wreak some havoc with you. So your challenge for next episode's game, Sommelier, should you choose to accept it, which you must. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. <laughs> this episode will not self-destruct <laughs> when you're done listening to it, but your iPod might. No, exactly. no, I'm just kidding. So, your job is to find five non-classic games <laughs> that you could teach to non-English speakers Oh. that they could easily get the gist of how to play and play well. The games cannot be team games. Okay. At least one of the games, though, has to be a multiplayer game. So they can't all be two-player okay. games. Okay. Can't be so non-classic. You have to be able to teach it to non-English speakers. I actually this came about by me remembering that I actually learned mahjong, how to play mahjong, from people who only spoke Chinese, and I spoke enough Chinese to say like, "Where's the bathroom?" and I'm hungry. <laughs> But I was able to actually understand the entire gist of how to play Mahjong. And I am still amazed that I, they were able to actually get across right. the basics of the game to the point that I actually won a couple hands. Like legitimately, not them, you know, <laughs> just feeling sorry for the poor Gaijin. Um, so wow. there, you, there you got it. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll even throw a little bit of a bone to you and say maybe they know a little English. But they're not fluent they're not, to right. any degree whatsoever. But they, you know, they know a few words of English, right, left, you know, I mean, just, a, just enough to get by, okay. perhaps, but they're non-natives and they're definitely not fluent. So wow, this, this is a perfect challenge for me because I obviously speak no other <laughs> languages other than English. So you, you speak English? Okay, fine. Really? Fine. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, babe. No, sorry. <laughs> That's, I, man, right now, I'm completely blank. <laughs> I'm completely going, what in the heck am I going to pick? Well, that's how I felt last week. And, you know, I I held on to my title for the game sommelier <laughs> for yet again. So I uh, think you can do it. I'm looking for, that's an awesome challenge. <laughs> that's going to be great. Cool. Well, here we are at the end of yet another episode here. Um, remember, uh, we've got the little <laughs> connection challenge going for right. you listening out there. Remember the back shelf spotlight? There's a connection between Renfield and Go. There are two connections. <laughs> we want you to visit thespiel.net and email us at steven at thespiel.net or dave at thespiel.net and let us know if you can come Please. up with what these connections are. Um, we'll be interested to hear any of your comments about the show. If you have suggestions for games that should be on any of our lists, you'll find our lists of unplayed games, the truckloads of goober, goober lists. All of those things are online at thespiel.net <laughs> so without further ado thanks for listening we hope you're enjoying it we're enjoying bringing it to you and remember whether it's the turn of the card the roll of the dice or the flip of a tile you don't have to play to win you, you just, just have, have to play, play.